Thank you for listening to the North Place Podcast. We hope that after listening to this message, you will feel inspired, uplifted, and closer to Christ. To watch the video of this message, visit our website, northplacechurch.com slash watch. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to receive every episode on your phone as soon as we publish them. I want to do something today I, I rarely have done in about 30 years of public pulpit ministry. As I felt uh, I was directed to preach this weekend and I was in preparation, I really felt the Holy Spirit pressing on me to review a topic that I had discussed just about seven weeks ago with you. And I use the word pressing because it's the only word in my vocabulary that describes adequately what I feel. I felt the pressing, the pressure, the, uh, the prompting of the Holy Spirit to go this way. I, I argued in prayer because it feels too soon to talk about this again. It feels somewhat repetitive. And as we study what it looks like to live an incarnational life, there is so much that I have yet to say about it. So much more to be said. Why would I take a weekend and, and restate some things that I just said seven weeks ago? And no matter how much I argued, the pressing wouldn't go away. It was like um, this conversation was worth repeating. And this whole conversation about how God is drawn to and has chosen to dwell in the collective praise and worship of his people. That that conversation we had seven weeks ago is important enough to what God is doing in this season of our church and important enough to what God is doing in 2019 at North Place Church that, that we need to go back and look at some of that conversation again. So I surrendered to the pressing and realized we're at the end of a 21-day fast. Tonight is our worship night. It all culminates today. So it just makes sense, I guess, and fitting to have this conversation. But it's while it may be a little similar, it is, its motivation and purpose is very different, and it ends very differently than the last one. So I'm calling today's conversation The Incarnation, Corporate Worship, and the Common Good. We talked about the incarnation and corporate worship, but we've not yet talked about how that impacts the common good, and I, I want to talk about that in just a moment. So let me break the conversation today down into to two parts. The first, let's talk theologically. Let's talk about what the Bible says, the scriptural underpinnings, the belief structure behind all of this. And then secondly, let's dive into the practicality, how this all fleshes out in our everyday life. What's it look like in front of us in our life? So I want us to go back to the passage, that, that powerful incarnational passage that describes the moment that God put human skin on. It's in John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word, which is a reference to Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, most of you know that when John wrote these words, they were originally written in Greek, and we are re reading the English translation of the original Greek version. But when you read that, the word became flesh, and that phrase made his dwelling among us. Um, it's obvious why the translators translated it dwelling, residence, made his home among us, because that's what he's trying to communicate. But when John wrote that, the Greek he literally translates 
tabernacled among us. Now that wouldn't make sense to the average reader, so the translators put the words in there that made sense to us. But John intentionally chose the word tabernacled among us. It was strategic and it was purposeful because he wanted his original readers to understand that the same glory, when John said we beheld the glory in Christ Jesus, he wanted them to know the same glory they saw in Christ Jesus was the glory that dwelt in the Old Testament tabernacle. Before Adam and Eve sinned, God came down and walked with them in the cool of the day. His presence was tangible, there was intimacy, there was relationship, but sin severed that relationship. So God had them build a mobile tabernacle that would follow them around as they wandered in the wilderness and he would come and fill that tabernacle. And later, when they built the permanent temple in Jerusalem, he would come in and he would let his glory dwell in that temple. So when John is saying... He came and made his dwelling or he tabernacled among us. He is saying the glory that John saw in Jesus, the glory that I saw in Christ is the glory that was in the Garden of Eden, is the glory that was in the tabernacle, is the glory that fell in the Old Testament temple in Jerusalem and it is now embodied in the flesh, in the man, Christ Jesus. Up until that moment, up until the incarnation, God being with his people seemed very limited, inconsistent, sporadic, and temporary. It seems like every time you see God's people in his presence that God was just there for a visit. And that's never really what God wanted. He never wanted to just come for a visit. And that's really not what our hearts need. We need more than a visit. While it may sound good that God visited us, we need more than a visitation from God. What God's heart longed for and what we need is a habitation of God. We need him to come here. We need him to stay here. We need him to dwell permanently once and for all to be with us. So when God robed himself in human flesh, he made his most costly commitment yet to pursue a relationship with us. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God could have thrown us away and started over. They ran and hid in shame. And God revealed his heart in that moment because instead of throwing us away and starting over, he ran after Adam and Eve to try to restore a severed relationship. And he's been pursuing the human race for relationship ever since. And he is still pursuing us to this day. And the crescendo of that pursuit is when he was willing to leave the splendor and the glory of heaven. He laid aside, Paul said in the book of Philippians, he laid aside his advantages and his divine privileges to be placed as a man in the middle of human suffering, in the middle of human pain, dysfunction, division, and sin. And he did that because he wanted to show us there was an alternative. He wanted to show us all of that sin and division and dysfunction that there was another kingdom that was operating by a different set of principles and if we would align our lives with that, we could transcend a lot of the junk that was going on in our world. But that's not the only reason he came. He came in that way because he was finished with the sporadic visitations. He was ready to come stay. He was ready for a habitation. We don't use that word a lot, so let's look at what it means. The word habitation is the state or process of living in a particular place. So here are some synonyms. Occupancy, residence, living in, dwelling, inhabit, or inhabiting. So for something to take up habitation or to inhabit a certain place, the habitat or the environment has to be conducive for that species. 
Plants, animals, even human beings can only thrive or live in or inhabit certain, certain habitats. We can't live on Mars because there is not enough oxygen in that habitat for our species to survive. So it leads us to the question then about, we're talking about the presence and the dwelling of God, the incarnation. What is the habitat for the dwelling of God's presence? If you look at scripture, where has God chosen to make his habitation, to let his tangible presence dwell? Paul answers that question when he writes his letter to the Ephesians. It's in your Bible in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 2. This is what Paul says in verse 18, for through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So through Christ, I have surrendered my life to Christ. He is Lord of my life. I am in Christ. I belong to him. Through Christ, I now have access into the presence of the Father. I can go to God in prayer. I can go into his presence. He says this, so so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Before I came to Christ, I was an alien to the family of God. Before I came into relationship with Christ, I was a stranger, a foreigner to the household of faith. But the day I surrendered my life to Christ, it doesn't matter my race, it doesn't matter my ethnicity, my tribe, my nation, social standing, economic, color of my skin, doesn't matter. The moment that I surrendered to Jesus Christ, I became a part of a family that is made up of every kindred, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, and I have become a fellow citizen with the saints and of the household of God. And now in verse number 20, Paul is starting to describe what that family looks like and how God is building that family together. And he's using the imagery of a structure or a building. He's not talking about a building. He is talking about a family, a faith family. And he says in verse 20, that faith is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. That's the cornerstone, the foundation of our faith in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now listen to verse 22. In him, in Christ, You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by a spirit. The King James Version says, in whom you also are built together for, instead of dwelling place, it translates it habitation of God. So the church is the habitat of God, the, the, the worship of God's people. When we come together in moments like these to collectively exalt the name of Jesus, we have become the dwelling place or the habitation of God by the Spirit. Now, I want you to just pause for a moment and think deeply about that. We're not talking about the building. It means if we go out in a field out here and we start exalting the name of Jesus, that becomes the dwelling place of God. If we're in somebody's living room, if we go to the Curtis Colwell Event Center, have a special service, uh, the concrete of that building becomes sacred ground when the church, the people of God, begin to exalt the name of God. And he says, that's his habitat. That's where he comes and his tangible presence dwells. If you think about that for a moment, what the Bible says about it, there is a power in our corporate worship that I don't really think we get, a potential available to us when we start understanding God's heart for moments like these. We don't fully grasp it or we would approach it differently. According to what we just read, the place that God has chosen to dwell 
is the collective worship of his people. It means that every time we come in here on the weekend to sing, to lift our hands, to exalt the name of Jesus, to study the word together, we are making this environment the habitat of God. And that should be a game changer for us. It should change the way we think and approach our weekend worship experiences at church. It ought to change our level of expectation. If I really believe what the Bible said about corporate worship, I would be like David was in Psalm 122 when he said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Why was David so excited about getting to church? Because he knew there was something supernatural about worshiping with God's people that can't be replicated any other way in any other place. In God's presence, there's supernatural potential for sickness to be healed, for addiction to be broken, for relationships to be restored, for sin to be forgiven. And if I really believe what the Bible said about corporate worship, I would run into this place every weekend with an expectant heart ready to meet with God. You know the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The kingdom of God coming to earth, heaven coming to earth. Do you know when we worship God, that's what happens? We get a little taste of heaven coming to earth. And what I know is, is when I read about heaven, there's no sickness in heaven. There's no sorrow in heaven. There's no disease in heaven. There's no broken heart in heaven. And my prayer when I approach our weekend worship experiences is, God, would you let us worship you and pursue you in such a way that we create a dwelling place so that your kingdom can come, so that heaven does come to earth enough today that we get a little taste, that sickness is, is healed and sin is forgiven and people are delivered, that heaven literally comes to earth and tangibly marks our lives. That's what happens when God's people worship him. If we really believed what the Bible says about corporate worship, it would change not only our level of expectation, it would change our level of preparation because I wouldn't stroll into this building lackadaisically if I believed what the book said about worship um, and, and corporate worship together. I wouldn't come in here like I was walking into some concert. I would come in here like I am very aware that I am walking into the environment that God has promised to fill with his glory. The first 15 to 25 minutes of our service where we're singing songs is not a song service. It is not a filler. It is not a placeholder or a buffer to buy time for all the late arrivers to get here for the more important stuff. Listen, if, if you don't value corporate worship collectively, offering praise to God with his people, I would challenge you to go back and examine your Bible. There's some things about what it says in scripture you're not fully understanding. You're not fully grasping the heart of God about what he says is his habitat or his dwelling place. Listen to Psalm 22 verse 3. Yet you are holy. He's praying. Yet you are holy God enthroned on the praises of Israel. You dwell in the praises of your people. Our praise is not what makes him holy. He is already holy. But it is our collective praise when we come into this church or wherever we might gather as God's people. Our collective praise is what attracts him. It's what draws him close. It's what becomes the dwelling place of his presence. And the scripture says that God is actively seeking people and places for his glory to dwell. 
He's been looking for that, searching for that. He's been chasing after us since he ran after Adam and Eve to restore severed relationship, pursuing his people to fill that tabernacle while they wandered in the wilderness, pursuing us as he came to the temple in Jerusalem, pursuing us as he became a man in Bethlehem and wrapped himself in human flesh. He pursued us to the cross. He's pursued us to the grave and he's still pursuing us today. He's seeking places, people, environments for his glory to tangibly dwell so that heaven can come to earth. Listen to what he said to the Samaritan woman in John chapter number four, verse 23. But the hour is coming and is here now when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. Listen, for the father is seeking such people to worship him. He's looking He's hunting for people and places for his glory to set up residence, to dwell. Here's the question. Will you prepare your heart and life to the place that your life becomes a conducive environment to be the dwelling place of God, habitat for God's glory? Will the people of North Place Church be committed enough to these moments of corporate worship that we're willing to offer our whole hearts to him in worship and create an environment for his presence to dwell. He's looking and searching for a place. Will we let our lives and will we let our church be that place? Now that's a theological conversation. And there's so much more I said in the last one. I went much deeper into the theology, but today I just feel pressed pressing on my heart by the Holy Spirit to be a little more practical. In the beginning, I said that we would talk about the incarnation, corporate worship, and the common good. That's a phrase that Paul uses in his letter to the Corinthians, the common good, and it dictates so much of what Paul says to the Corinthian church. And if there was any church that Paul served or wrote to in the New Testament that had a lot of similarities to the American church, it would be the Corinthian church. I think we need to pay quite a bit of attention to the Corinthian letters in the modern American church because there's something Paul says. And one of the driving themes he talks to them about is the common good. As our church grows in number, it's growing in diversity, and that is an answer to a prayer that I have been praying Since the day I became the pastor here, God send us the nations. People are coming to North Place Church and experiencing a relationship with Jesus from more ethnic and religious backgrounds than ever before. And what is beautiful is that there are a great number of people that are coming to North Place that have no faith background. I mean, they had no spirit. They would be considered completely secular, no spiritual understanding, no spiritual searching until they walked through the doors of this church and they met Jesus. And I celebrate that diversity. But here's what you need to understand is with that diversity comes different understandings about corporate worship. With that diversity comes all these different understandings about how people are supposed to respond to God when the presence of God does tangibly come and dwell among us. And, 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 you know, I mean, this is a little insight. It doesn't take much logic to figure this out. If you came from no faith background at all, you didn't come in here with any presuppositions. This is all you know. But everybody that came here from some other church or some other denomination or some other Christian background, every one of us come into this room with our denominational presuppositions, our experiential presuppositions, and we come into this place and we all have our ideas about what is supposed to look like when the glory of God falls or comes and the presence of God 
begins to dwell here. So I felt the Holy Spirit pressing on me to explain why we worship the way we do at North Place. There are certain things about our church and certain things about this environment that draws people here. It repels some people, but it draws some people. There is something in the DNA of our faith family that is worth protecting. And the danger is when you grow so rapidly, you wind up having so much outside influence if you're not careful and you don't stand for your values, you wind up losing yourself in growth and you wind up losing your identity. So I just, let me state some things that are us today as a church family. North Place is a spirit-empowered church. We believe that the Holy Spirit is the active agent of God on planet earth. And we believe that the same glory in the presence of God that walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, the same glory that filled that Old Testament tabernacle, the same glory that filled that temple in Jerusalem, and the same glory that John said he beheld in Christ Jesus, that same glory dwells in every Christ follower in this room by the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, do you not know, Paul said, do you not know That your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. We believe that the Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us to establish God's kingdom in our world. We believe that the book of Acts is more than some history manual. It is an actual picture of what the New Testament Christianity is supposed to look like in the 21st century. And our theology and belief system impacts our worship environments. Beliefs impact behaviors. We believe the Holy Spirit comes into our corporate worship environments to make this place God's dwelling place. And we believe God is a God we can feel. We believe he has a desire to be felt. That people can tangibly experience him every time they walk through the doors of this church. So we don't apologize We don't detach our emotions from our worship experience because we believe God wants more than our intellectual assent. He enjoys our wholehearted engagement. Love God with all your mind, body, soul, and strength. I've had people over the years who have come from different faith backgrounds, and some of you just recently said this to me. We've connected in the lobby or at a growth track, and you said, Pastor, I I didn't grow up this way, and I don't know why, but I just cry. I just cry the whole way through the service. I just cry the whole time. What's happening? It's okay. When when dirt and divinity collide, there's going to be dust. And sometimes the Bible says, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. That's what the dust looks like. Sometimes it says, come before him with dancing. Sometimes it says, clap your hands, all you people. Sometimes it says, lift your hands and surrender. Paul told Timothy, lift holy hands unto the Lord. And sometimes it's just this awareness that I'm humbled by the fact that I sense something greater than me. And I'm in this presence of God and I'm humbled by it. And my only logical response is just to be broken in a good way. Humbled in a good way and just weep. What you're experiencing is the Holy Spirit tangibly expressing God so he's not this distant Bette Midler kind of God watching you from a distance. He's really right here. Right now. I feel him. I grew up in a spirit-empowered worship environment. Because of that, I often take for granted some of those things that 
are so meaningful. I take for granted what our worship environment provides, like freedom of expression and liberty, the energy and the passion and the emotion of the worshiper, the rhythms of the music, the passion of the preaching. That's what worship is for me, and anything else seems a little stale just because of the way that I grew up. But but you have to understand that North Place Church is a toned-down version of the way I grew up. On purpose. Because the church environment I grew up in gave holy rollers their reputation. We did everything but swing from the chandeliers, and we would have done that, but we didn't know what chandeliers were, much less how to spell chandelier. My church was not a church I wanted to invite my friends to. Matter of fact, on Saturday night, I wanted to go home with them. I didn't want them coming home with me because I was afraid one of the little ladies in the church would get happy. Um, That's what we called it. Uh, Sister Marie, Granny Spears, Aunt May, they would be worshiping and they would feel the presence of God. They would come out of their little pew uh, and they would get happy. Sometimes it was the broken chicken wing. Sometimes it was something else, but, but they would get happy, okay? Um, and I, I didn't, I didn't want them freaking my friends out. And so I didn't invite them to my church. Now, look, I used to, I mean, look, I, I grew up in all that. I, uh, I was on a baby blanket playing GI Joe and hot wheels on top of the hymns of glorious praise hymnal. And I'm peeking out from under the pew watching pandemonium in the house, uh, Jericho marching. And some of you don't know what that is, but that Jericho marching and, and all that pew jumping, all that kind of stuff. Now listen to me, we, we poke a little fun at that and, and all of that, and if you grew up on the outside of that, it's easy to criticize that, but having grown up on the inside, let me say something, those people love Jesus. They were, they were sincere, they loved God, that's all they knew, and I really did see the power of God manifest himself in those environments in such a way they marked me and made me who I am today. But, but, but let me just say something to you. While they were sincere, we didn't have an awareness in those moments or a concern for that matter how our worship, how our response to the presence of God was impacting other people who were not from that environment. So if we did have guests and they actually stayed the whole service, they never came back. We had ourselves a time. That's why it was always us. Here was our problem in that little church and a whole lot of others. We celebrated our own personal liberty and worship over the outsider's understanding of what was going on. It's almost as if we prided ourselves in being so passionate about the presence of God that we were okay if our response to the presence of God alienated people who didn't have a relationship with God, ran them off or freaked them out. It's almost like, uh, you know, you can't take the heat, get out the kitchen. We're on fire up in here. Like we prided ourselves in the fact that people were scared to be there. But Paul addresses this issue in his first letter to the Corinthians and actually tells them that when public worship is done right, it will not only edify the believer, it will draw spiritual seekers. And he frames the whole conversation about the common good. And he says that corporate worship, when we're in a room like this together, we ought to protect 
Worship in freedom, worship in liberty, but protect the common good. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, he says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, he's specifically addressing the public operation of the gifts of the Spirit in a corporate worship service. But what is true of the public operation of the gifts is true in any expression of public worship. It has to be for the common good. When my personal expression of worship during a public worship service draws the attention away from the common good and the attention away from Jesus and brings the focus of that attention onto me, I have crossed the line of what Paul calls decent and in order. The New Living Translation says it this way in verse 7, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. So the supernatural in that moment was given to help each other. So we have to filter our response to what God is doing in our lives in a corporate environment as to how it affects others. They are God's doing what he's doing to help others through us, not inhibit others from getting to God because of us. And this is what I've learned. Most of the time in an environment like this, when somebody crosses the line and takes the attention from the common good and to, from Christ to themselves, most of the time, they didn't do it on purpose. They, they, were, they were enraptured in a moment of worship, um, kind of got lost in that moment, were not paying attention. Maybe they didn't get taught like Paul taught the Corinthian church or hadn't heard any kind of teaching like this, that their response to the presence of God ought to be filtered by who's in the room. Are there people in the room that didn't grow up this way, that don't understand what's going on? You need to conduct yourself in a way that you are drawing people to God through your passion, not repelling them because they have no context or understanding. At North Place, we celebrate liberty and freedom in worship. We celebrate that. It's one of our values. But listen, we are not going to let one person's liberty alienate people who are, he- who are new here and who are seeking and investigating faith and a relationship with Jesus. Their potential salvation is more important to us than your personal liberty. This church... Is, is, is trying to reflect what Paul wrote, the exact reason Paul wrote chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians is because the Corinthian church was operating in their public worship gatherings in such a way they were having themselves a time. But they were operating in such a way that if you were a part of that environment, a part of that culture, you were enjoying it. But if you came in to investigate in that environment, you didn't understand what was going on. So the very reason that Paul wrote the Corinthian letters was to provide structure and order to their worship of God so God could work supernaturally among his people in such a way the outsider would be drawn by the presence of God, not alienated by people's response to the presence of God. Now notice he wrote to provide structure. I grew up, structure and the supernatural were enemies. It had to be spontaneous or it wasn't supernatural. But here you have the great apostle Paul saying, I know what's going on among you supernatural, but you're freaking people out. So here's structure. Here's structure. So in other words, structure and the supernatural are not enemies. So when we provide structure here at North Place for worship, for operation of the gifts, people who grew up the way I did say, well, you're just grieving the Holy Ghost. Well, so did the the Apostle Paul then. He provided structure for the supernatural to operate. Now, let me tell you this. At North Place, as pastors and elders, 
we're going to err on the side of grace when it comes to somebody that may be crossing the line and drawing attention to themselves. Most of the time, they don't mean to. And we're always going to err on the side of grace because you never know what that person was going through when they walked through the doors of this church, the burden they carried. And when they encountered grace and the presence of God in this moment, something was lifted off of their shoulders and there was just a, a freedom. We're, we're going to be gracious to them in moments like that, knowing that they may have innocently drawn attention to themselves. We have to hear their story, discern their situation, determine whether or not they're genuine or whether or not they were trying to get attention and be disruptive. Even if it's innocent, if it continues to be an issue, we're going to address it respectfully and graciously. And I can tell you over the years, people have responded in incredible maturity to those conversations. And they have grown and they've responded. We've done it biblically. And it's just been this beautiful thing of New Testament Christianity being lived out. But as you can imagine, a lot of times they don't respond that way. I've had people look at me just straight in the eye and say, well, bless God, pastor. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and there's the spirit is in me. Obviously, the spirit's not in here. You wouldn't be telling me to calm down a little bit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I'm going to have liberty wherever I go. In your church, anybody else's church, Home Depot, wherever, I'm going to have liberty. And they're nodding their head and they're doing this while they're talking. I mean, they're trying to make a point. And that's fine. You, you do have liberty. You have all that liberty. And you have liberty to find some way up, somewhere else to do all that stuff. Because we're more committed to people who are investigating faith, who don't understand that, than we are keeping church hopping folks in Dallas, Tulsa, and Colorado Springs happy. Everybody in our, those three cities have a tambourine streamer and a word, and they float around and, and they're really spiritual and they float and they just float in and out. But we're going to be a place for people to investigate faith, okay, and find this balance. This is what we want to be. This is the way I pray every day. God, would you let us be spirit-empowered, intellectually engaged, and biblically balanced? Let it be a place where there is power present, where people are not just coming to hear a university lecture, but there is genuine power in the preaching, genuine power in the worship, that the person that is the furthest from God walks out of this room and say, I don't know what that was, but something is going on in there that is different. We need that. But because there's been so much excess and so so much uh, flakiness, people have just thrown it all out and they've just said, we're just going to, we're, we're just going just, to, we don't want anything to squeak. We don't want, we just want it to be like this. And then there are other people who are so afraid that if they have any structure, they're going to just be dead and stale that they've just created this carnival of chaos because they don't want any structure. And that's not the biblical model. Sometimes I've had people say to me when we've approached them, well, Pastor, I don't, mean, I don't mean to draw attention to myself like that. I just, I just can't control it. Well, yeah, you can. When Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 talking about the gifts of the Spirit, there were people that were going out of turn and causing confusion when they had words of encouragement and comfort. And they said the Spirit moved upon them and, and they, they couldn't control it. And Paul said, oh, you can. The Spirit of the prophet subject to the prophet. You can wait your turn and you can do it in order you can control it. Now, now here are some, um, some insights I have learned about public worship that 
I just thought I would leave with you before we finish today. The more spiritually mature you become, the more grace you're willing to give to those who express their worship differently than you do. So there are some of you in this room that are really expressive and demonstrative in your worship, and there are others in this room that are extremely reserved. And those of you that are reserved and your spirituality runs deep, you looked at all of those hip swingers and clappers and yellers, and you look at all, look at that flake over there. And then there are some of you that are just gung-ho, passionate, going after God, and you say, look at that, not on a log over there. When you have a spiritual maturity, there is a grace in your life to make space for people who respond to God differently than you do. The spiritually mature understand that unity and uniformity is not the same. Give you an example. I can remember through the years preaching and I'd go to churches where there'd be a a section of older folks in the church that sat during worship and a section of younger folks at the front that bounced like bunny rabbits the whole time worship was going on. And I would often hear the disdain from the older folks because of the jumping bunny rabbits. And and I would hear the young folks say to the older folks, man, why why don't they stand up and worship God? One, because they got metal knees. That's why. Okay. And two... My grandma can touch God better sitting down than you can hopping like a bunny rabbit, all right? Leave people alone. Let them be who they are as long as they are responding in a way that doesn't alienate the outsider and it's growing collectively. The the whole group ought to crescendo to to a place of, uh, of power in the presence of God And not one person try to draw attention to themselves. Look, the spiritually mature understand that diversity is not division. And our world doesn't do that. It tries to make all of our diversity division. And that's not the case. We have every kindred, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, all of these different backgrounds. And it's such a beautiful thing when all of these people from various denominational streams come into this place Lay aside our preferences. We put our focus on Jesus and he comes into that unity. Let me just explain this before I finish with an illustration for my own marriage. Okay, Haley and I are very different. I am, uh, I'm out there. I'm loud. She gets in trouble because wherever I'm talking, I'm preaching. I'm loud. I'm, I'm, I'm just, that's the way I live my life. I, my, my throttle is always on the rabbit, not the turtle. It's always on the rabbit. I'm full bore all the way. It's the way I go after God. It's the way I worship. It's the way I have conversations. That's the way I play pickup basketball. He's always full bore. Haley's more reserved. She's quieter. She's more reserved. Um, she's ornery. Um, but <laughs> don't, don't, when our kids go acting up, they always, because I'm the loud one, they always say, Oh, they're taking after Pastor Brian. I'm like, look, I've been dating her since she was 15. I know there's things you don't know just because she's quiet. She's ornery. <laughs> We're different. Um, and, and when we first started out uh, in our lives together, I was itinerant, traveling, preaching, and I was preaching in the circles that I grew up in. A lot of those holiness, holy roller churches that I grew up in. That was the environment I was familiar with. Those were my network of relationships. And 
And I mean, these people went after God hard. I mean, small churches, most of the time it was just us and, 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 and they went after God hard. And, and so because I'm geared to fit in in that kind of environment, uh, they always thought I was like close to God and they would, some pastors would pull me off to the side and want to, is your wife saved? Because while they're bouncing around all over the place, she's just like, praise the Lord. I knew her spirituality was probably deeper than them, her faith. I'm like, God, how do I answer these people? How do I respond to this? And one day I was, I was walking in my grandfather's front yard praying. Again, I've never heard an audible voice, but I have sensed the Lord speak to me. And I wouldn't have made this connection if the Lord hadn't been speaking to me that day. I was walking and I was praying and I looked up right after I prayed that and I looked, my grandfather had a willow tree on the left side of his yard and right out by the road was a large oak tree. And he said, Brian, watch the wind move through those trees. And as the wind would blow through the willow tree, it was barely blowing that day, but the, 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 the small flimsy limbs of that willow tree were moving a lot. Now look at the oak tree and the, the oak tree was barely moving. Same wind. He said, are not both of those responding and worshiping me? And yet it takes very little wind to visibly move the willow tree. And that same wind is, 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 is move, moving nothing on the oak tree hardly at all. And yet every one of them, both of them are created the way I created them to worship me. They respond differently when the wind blows. And the same is true when the Holy Spirit comes. You respond one way. Haley responds a different way. But I wired you both. I created you to be uniquely you. Created her to be uniquely her. So you be a willow tree, let her be an oak tree. And what I learned is when the storms come and the heavy winds start to blow, us willow trees are the first ones out of the ground. And the oak trees are the ones still rooted. On one, one occasion we were preaching in Kansas City. We hadn't been back there in... 20 years, and I, I, uh, I, I wonder, I've often wanted to go back there. It was one of those little, what we called a shotgun church. In other words, when you walked in the back door, it was just one whitewashed building on the outside, little church, and when you open the door and walk in, you're standing on the back row. Uh, and there was a stairway that went down to the basement, and, and, and then there was this, just the church here. And I mean, this, this place, this environment was crazy. I mean, these people were I don't know what they were lit up on, but they were lit up on something. It was crazy. Um, and, and it was whenever there's like 10 singers on a platform, all of them had mics and, and they were singing. It was a hoedown. Matter of fact, the, they had one of the big pianos, one of the grand pianos with the, that, that tilt lid, you know, and a big propped up lid. Uh, and I don't know what that stick is, but that stick comes into big play in this conversation. They had, they had a mic a cord draped over into that piano so they could raise the volume because the people were so loud, man. They, they were raising the piano volume and the lady that was playing that piano, she could tear the keys up and she, I don't know, she got happy. She was playing this she, Jerry Lee Lewis kind of thing, you know, she's getting after it and she stood up off the piano bench, just straightened her legs out just like that and when she did, the piano bench made a couple flips and she's tearing it up and it's so much that she jarred that little stick uh, that was holding the lid on that piano and it came crashing down with that mic turned all the way up and there was a boom in that room. And I thought to myself, this is it. I mean, whatever, whatever this is going on in here, that just killed it. But boy, was I ever wrong. It was like somebody shot a gun at the starting blocks of a track meet. When that lid hit, pandemonium broke out in the house. 
I mean, pandemonium broke out in the house. When I tell people that, they say, Pastor, what, what did you do? I'm, that was a good excuse for me. I was just <laughs> right in there with them. I just jumped in the pandemonium. But I looked to the back. Caden was about six months old. He turns 21 next week. About six months old. And he was on Haley's hip. And there's this pandemonium going, Haley, stand in the back. Bless the Lord. You be you. And you be mature enough to give grace to other people who worship differently than you. And to those of you that are wired like me, Paul's passion in the Corinthian letters was, God made you the way you are. But God has more passion to reach lost people than he does anything. So make sure your personal liberty never infringes on someone's spiritual seeking. Be gracious. Maurice Lednicki was a professor of mine, also a president of one of the seminaries I attended. And he said this, when worship is going on, you will worship or you will become critical of those who are. Because worship is not a spectator sport. It's participatory. And if you're not participating, when you have the opportunity, you're going to start looking around and, oh, willow tree, oak tree, palm tree, bush, twig. You're going to start rating people, okay? When worship is going on, you will either worship or you will become critical of everybody else who is. So participate, engage, and our worship will become the dwelling place of God. It's the reason I love worship nights because uh, it's inconvenient. Come back on a Sunday night and so um, kind of weed some things out and, and it's just us here. There's a special sense of freedom, and, um, a, a special sense of liberty Energy's turned up a little bit. There's no agenda. I don't preach. Not unless I just feel like a, God says something in my heart and I'll come up and interject and exhort, but I have no sermon. It's just a, a moment to go after God without constraints. And that's why I love worship nights. I love, I love creating those spaces. But there are some of you in this room today that are spiritual seekers. And you know what? You, you're investigating faith. And I want you to know we... We exist for you. Thank you for trusting us. Thank you for being here. Um, we don't ever apologize for uh, being a people who engage God with our emotions because he created that as much as he created our minds. But we want to conduct ourselves in such a way that, that you see our passion and you're drawn to it. Uh, you feel what God does here and you know it's different. But we do it in a way that draws and not repels. And may God help us. May God help us. These are phrases that we use here. God, help us be experiential and not spooky. Help us be spirit-empowered, intellectually engaged, and biblically balanced. Would you stand with us all over this place? Prayer team, would you help me today and make yourself available to serve this body at the front of this church? This is what I know. You worshiped God a minute ago with passion. I mean, you attracted his attention today. And the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. Psalm 107.20 says he sent his word and healed them. So when you combine heartfelt worship with the teaching and preaching of God's word, the habitat is conducive. The environment is conducive for God to do some pretty incredible things. So if you need prayer today, let us serve you. 
Who knows? Heaven could come to earth today and a whole situation be arranged, rearranged because of the supernatural power of God. We want to provide that opportunity for you. If you need to talk to somebody about faith, you're struggling with this investigation of faith, you want to know more, uh, we would be happy to talk with you. That's one reason we're here every weekend. We'd love to serve you in that capacity. Father, will you bless them and keep them? Would you make your face shine down upon them? Would you be gracious to them? Turn your countenance their direction today and grant them peace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. These altars are open. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from North Place Church. Feel free to share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at North Place and on Facebook at North Place Church. To watch the video of this message, go to northplacechurch.com slash watch.